The scripture today is Micah 6, verses 1 through 8, and the title that I've given the sermon today is System Requirements. System Requirements. You know, I can't imagine doing anything today without computers. It's hard to believe that we ever did anything without computers, but I can still remember the very first personal computer that I ever purchased. It was in 1995, I was in seminary, and I walked into the CompUSA store in Buckhead, Georgia, and I was absolutely petrified. I didn't know the first thing about computers, but I just knew that it was this new wave of technology that everybody was going to have to become accustomed to. And before that time, I thought that laptop was where the cat slept. You know, I, I thought log on was putting a piece of wood on the fire, and, and log off was when the wood fell off the fire. I thought that monitors what you did while the fire was going, and download was when you got in the pickup truck and took the wood off the truck to put on the fire, and megahertz was what happens if you weren't careful when you got the wood off the truck. And so you can imagine in 1995 walking into the store for the first time to make this purchase and not knowing the first thing about computers. And what I quickly began to realize is like everything else in life, there were so many different variations that you could choose from. And so I was peppering the store clerk with all sorts of questions about what am I supposed to do and what am I supposed to know. And one of the things that he talked about is that now you're going to have to add some things to this computer along the way. It's called software. And it's important when you get ready to add this software that you know what kind of computer that you have. You see, back then, the internet speed wasn't fast enough to download software from the uh, internet. And so you actually had to go back to CompUSA when you were ready to put something on your computer. And you had to buy the software in a little box. It was on these disks. You put the disks in. You downloaded it. But one of the things he said before you buy it, remember to look at the back of the box because there's system requirements and there's two kinds of requirements that are on those requirements one is the minimum requirements you have to have this in order for the software to work and if your computer doesn't have the hardware components if it doesn't have the right resources uh, uh, this minimum resources then the software you buy won't work at all and then there was another thing on there. It was called recommended requirements. So you could use the software if you had the minimum requirements, but they recommended that if you wanted to enjoy the software in the most efficient way, if you wanted the most pleasing experience with the software, you had to have the recommended requirements. It was more than the minimum requirements. Well... Several years ago, one of our clergy colleagues here in the Tennessee Conference is having a conversation with an atheist. And the atheist wanted to know from our clergy person, uh, Reverend Martin Thielen, what's the least that I have to believe in order to be a Christian? And Martin Thielen ended up writing a book about it and by the same name. So apparently, software is not the only thing that when we're talking about it, people want to know what's the minimum requirement. 
And so I don't remember all of what Martin put in his book, but he talked about how that there are some minimum requirements if we are going to call ourselves followers of Jesus. And then there are some other things that while they may not be absolute requirements, they are recommended if we are going to truly have the relationship with Jesus that God desires for us to have. And I got to thinking, what would we say are the minimum requirements for having a right relationship with God. I know what Paul would say, because Paul is pretty clear about it. In fact, Paul uses that exact language in the book of Galatians. He says that if we want a right relationship with God, we will not get a right relationship with God by simply following the words of the law. Instead, Paul says that if we want a right relationship with God, we must have faith in Jesus Christ. For Paul, faith was the minimum requirements to have that right relationship with God. And yet, if you look throughout this book, you will find that there are lots of other things that are recommended and, in fact, even required if you and I truly want to have a right relationship with God above. We find that in the text this morning. In Micah, it's one of the minor prophets. It's a book of the Old Testament. And Micah is talking about what some of those requirements are to have a right relationship with God. It's a really unusual text because it appears as if God has a beef with the children of Israel. God is upset with the children of Israel. And so what God is doing in our scripture lesson this morning is that God is asking Israel to make their case about why they're behaving the way they're behaving in a courtroom. But it's an unusual courtroom. Because the jury in the scripture is not people, but it's mountains and hills. Now, why in the world would God have a courtroom drama taking place and the jury be inanimate objects like mountains and hills? Well, we believe that Micah is being symbolic here. We believe that the reason why mountains and hills are chosen by God to be the jury is because the mountains and hills have been here since the very beginning. The mountains and hills have been there since Israel, the children of Israel came into being. The mountains and the hills have been there and they have seen all of the ways that Israel has misbehaved. The mountains and the hills, that's the place where God actually came to Moses, was on top of a mountain and gave Moses the Ten Commandments, which was meant to be more than just something that we place on the walls of buildings. It was meant to help the Israelite people know how to have a right relationship with God and how to have a right relationship with other people. These mountains and hills had been there when all of the covenants were exchanged and they had seen all the ways the covenant had been broken. These mountains and hills were appropriate to be the jury. And so God is reminding, uh, asking the Israelite people to make their case. 
it appears as if the children of Israel are mad because they're mad because God's chosen people, that's them. You know, we are God's chosen people and yet God seems to always be punishing us. Why in the world would God punish God's chosen people? And if we're God's chosen people and we're still going to get punished anyway, then why in the world would we want to be God's children And so they are upset with God. They have forgotten all of the things that God has done for them. And so God, in this courtroom drama, begins to remind them with the Cliff Notes version of just some of the things that God has done for them on their behalf. God reminds them how that they were once slaves in Egypt. They were the part of uh, Pharaoh's transportation system. They made the bricks to put down so that the roads could be traveled upon. And they cried out in their slavery And asking God to liberate them. And so God sent a great leader named Moses. Moses who was born a Hebrew. But who was raised in an Egyptian family. Would be the perfect one. Who would be able to go and speak to Pharaoh on their behalf. And to ask Pharaoh to let God's people go. And then God mentions Miriam. Moses, this great leader that God sent to free them from captivity, would have never even been around. He would have never lived long enough to help the children of Israel had it not been for his sister Miriam. For you remember the story how the Israelites were growing in number and the king of Egypt began to be afraid that one day these Israelites would be so numerous and so powerful that they could overtake his regime. And so he commanded that all of the Hebrew boys be thrown into the Nile River so that they would die. And Moses was a Hebrew boy. And Moses' mother placed him in the Nile River just like the commandment said, except not before she put him in a basket that floated. And then Moses' sister Miriam watched that basket to see what would happen. One day, Pharaoh's daughter comes to the Nile River. She notices this basket she hears the baby she opens it up and then Miriam steps out of the shadows and says would you like for me to go find a Hebrew woman who might be able to nurse this child and Pharaoh's daughter surprisingly says yes that's a way that God has been at work in the children of Israel God then mentions um, Aaron Aaron is Moses' brother, and and Moses was quite clear that he did not think that he could do everything that God wanted him to do to liberate the children of Israel because he couldn't speak well. He didn't think he could articulate it well enough. And so God allowed Aaron, his brother, Moses' brother, who was a much more eloquent speaker, to join him, and that's a part of the salvation history. Then there's the story of Balak. Uh, Balak was a king. He was too was afraid that the Israelites that settled next to him would one day overtake him. And so he sent for a man named Balaam. And he had heard that if this man Balaam cursed someone or something, that that someone or something would be cursed. And so he asked Balaam to come and to curse these Israelites so that they would be cursed. But God spoke a word to Balaam. And God said to him, I don't want you to curse my chosen people, the Israelites. I want you to bless them. 
And so when Balaam comes to see King Balak, instead of cursing Israel like Balak wanted, he instead blessed the Israelites. Another way God was working his salvation history. And then there were the two cities that uh, Martha mentioned in the scripture lesson this morning. She cussed during the scripture lesson. Did y'all hear that? Um, You can read it later if you didn't get the joke. But... These two cities are part of the salvation story because they're believed to be the place where the children of Israel passed into the land that God had promised them. This was their salvation history. God's point in this courtroom drama is that if you would have remembered all of the things that I've done for you, you would not be wavering now. You would not be wavering in your trust of me and you would not be wavering in doing what I require you to do. But you have forgotten. And the truth of the matter is, St. Mark's family, we forget too. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important to to being mindful of our prayer at the beginning of the worship service today to worship regularly, to grow in our sense of God's purpose. Because when we are worshiping regularly, when we are studying God's word, when we are seeking God's purpose for our lives, we will be less likely to forget all of the things that God has already done for us we'll be less likely to forget. And it's when we forget, it's when we don't remember what God has done in our lives that we oftentimes find ourselves getting into trouble. And then when we get in trouble, we do exactly what the Israelites were doing in our scripture lesson this morning, and we start attacking and blaming God. For what we are experiencing. And what God says. If you just remember how I've always taken care of you. How uh, I'm always with you. You will not waver in doing what is right. And your trust in me will not waver as well. And so after God gives them the Cliff Notes versions, the people respond. There's a pronoun here. The I is the pronoun. So we're not sure if it's just one representative from the children of Israel, whether this I is meant to be representative of all the people of Israel. But they begin to ask some questions of God. What can we do to make Uh, ourselves right with God again and here's the thing we don't know if they're being truly sincere here that they really do want to get back into right relationship with God or we don't know if they're just trying to get God off of their backs leave us alone we don't know if they're really being sincere and that they really want to do anything that it would take to get back in God's good graces or whether they're just trying to point out the ridiculousness of trying to follow this God and do everything that this God requires. But they begin to pose suggestions about what must we do, we who have gone astray, to get back into your good graces. And all of the suggestions that they use in the scripture this morning uh, are related 
related to the religious ritual and ceremony of the day. He talks about burnt offerings being offered to God. He talks about oil that was used for anointing. He talks about even offering a firstborn son as God had commanded Abraham to do, but then prevented Abraham from doing once he saw that Abraham was so willing to be faithful to God's call. Every single one of these things was related to religious ritual and ceremony of the day. But Micah says that God is not worried about our rituals. God is not worried about our ceremony, our liturgy. What God is ultimately concerned about is how we live our everyday lives. What does the Lord require? Well, there are some minimum requirements. Trust and faith. But it goes beyond that. We are to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. It says that we are supposed to do justice. We can't just wish for justice. We can't just complain when justice is not there. If we truly desire to be in right relationship with God, we are required to do justice. We don't need attorneys and judges to do that. We have our directive from Almighty God to do just things for God's people. All God's people. And it says we're supposed to love kindness. Maybe your translation of the Bible says love mercy. At the heart of all healthy relationships is this sense of being faithful and loyal and loving. Being kind to one another. And finally, we are required to walk humbly with our God. There's only one God. And none of us are it. We don't see the bigger picture. We don't know all that there is to know. But we humbly submit to the one who does see what we cannot see. Who does know what we do not know. And we trust in that God. I want to suggest to you today that we not stop with the bare minimum requirements of having a right relationship with God. But that we do the things that are recommended and required. How much better would the world be if all of us decided that we were going to do just things That we were going to always love kindness and always walk humbly with God.